Well, hey, good morning, church. It's great to see you. Good to see you. We're in the third week of our series, In Jesus' Name. But before we start, I want to get out one more announcement. Guys, our men's Wednesday Bible study is going to start back up this coming Wednesday. So we have a 6.15 a.m. Bible study and a 6.30 p.m. men's Bible study. Same topic. It's going to be about the good book. It's about the Bible. We're going to look at major themes in the Bible and how they apply to our lives. There are, there's more information out in the lobby. There's also a sign-up sheet. But guys, if you forget to sign up and it's Wednesday morning and you wake up like 4 o'clock and go, what am I going to do? Get up, come on out, and join us here at our Bible study. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. You know, during this series, we've been in inviting church leadership from the elder board or from the staff to just share their heart's cry for our church. And this morning, we have Pastor David who's going to come up and share his heart's cry. So, Pastor David. All right. Well, let's cry out to the Lord. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, I pray. Lord, I cry out to you that we would break every chain that holds us back from being fully committed to you. I pray that we would live lives of passion for you, Jesus, and be so fully devoted to you that others would see how transformed we are and come to want to know you as a result of seeing you in us. I pray that we would be so passionate about your gospel that we would just have to share it with our families, our friends, our co-workers, and just people that we meet. I pray for a fresh harvest of new believers in our church. In Jesus' name, we cry these things out to you, Lord. Amen. David. In weeks to come, you'll hear some more prayers, and hopefully it'll be time, there'll be times later on in, in future weeks where you can share your heart's cry as well. This morning's uh, message is titled, The Call for a Changed Heart. The Call for a Changed Heart. Now, about 15 years ago or so, I was working on a project at a teaching hospital in the pathology lab. And, and I was there for about three days, and one day the, the technician said to me, Joe, would you like to hold a real human heart? Now, back in my Army days, I worked at Walter Reed Army Hospital, and I taught a class called A&P. That's anatomy and physiology. So I've seen, I've seen plastic models of the human heart, and I've seen real animal hearts, like dog hearts and monkey hearts and frogs and cats and dogs, stuff like that. But I've never seen a real human heart. So when he asked me that, I said, sure, I'd like to to hold a real human heart. I mean, how many times you get to go to work and say, what did you do at work today? Well, I, I held a human heart, so I wanted to, to do that. And he took me into the autopsy room, and he pulled a container off the shelf. And very respectfully, he pulls out this heart, and he puts it in my hands. And, and a lot of thoughts went through my mind. I started thinking, this, this isn't just an ordinary heart. This is, this is a human heart. This is a heart that went through childhood and teenage years and adulthood. This is a heart that knew joy and sorrow and laughter and pain and all the wonders of being a human being. And, and, and those things just really weighed on me. It was one of those experiences that, that stays with you the rest of your lives. And, and today we're going to talk about heart problems. And we think about heart problems, usually what we think about is that heart that beats, beats inside our chest. But that's not the heart we're going to talk about today. You know, the Bible talks about the heart and uses that word over a thousand times. 
And the heart is really the core of our being. It's the, the spiritual part of us where our emotions and our, des- our desires dwell. And that's the heart we're going to be talking about this morning. We're in this series in Jesus' name, and we're exploring how we can bring the power and presence of Jesus into our lives and into the spaces we inhabit. And this morning I'd like to talk about how we can bring the, the power and presence of Jesus to move in our hearts for our good and for his glory. So with that in mind, with that in mind, let's begin with a question. I want you to think for a moment. How would you describe your heart this morning? What words come to mind when you think about, about your heart? Would it be words like surrendered and growing and transforming? Would words like faith and trust come to mind? Or would there be words like overwhelmed and frustrated and tired and weary? Would words like Worry and fearful be used in that description. Do you have a sense that maybe, maybe deep inside, you know, things just aren't right, right where it matters the most? Well, if you feel that way this morning, I'm hoping that what we talk about this morning is encouragement to you. I hope it, I hope it really moves your heart and moves your life as we lift up Jesus Christ and talk about how he can move inside our lives. You see, sometimes we can look okay on the outside when things aren't going well on the inside. And that's exactly how it was in the first century in Jerusalem at the temple. You see, the temple was supposed to be a place of worship. But somewhere along the line, things went horribly wrong. And that takes us into our story this morning. But we're going to talk about the temple courts. We're going to start there 2,000 years ago in the temple in Jerusalem. But we're going to wind up in, in our hearts in this temple today. We're going to talk about how Jesus changed that temple years ago. And we're going to talk about how he wants to change your temple, how he wants to change your heart and my heart today. But before we do that, let's pray. God, as we talk about our hearts this morning, we pray that you will move among us. You alone know the need in every heart in this room, Lord. Please draw us close to you as we study your word, as we talk about heart change, and, and most importantly, as we look, as we look to Jesus. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a close look at this story of Jesus cleansing the temple. Many of you may be familiar with this. It's found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John's version is actually Jesus cleansing the temple at the beginning of his ministry, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the cleansing of the temple towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. So follow along with me as I read from Mark chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. And it says this, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables and money of the money changers and benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. I mean, this is a stunning scene. Picture this moment. Jesus comes to the temple grounds like he owns the place, and he does, but they don't know it yet. I mean, Jesus here is the, the ultimate undercover boss. And, really. And, and he, he, he takes action. He's driving out those who are buying and selling, and he's overturning these tables and benches, and you wonder, you know, what's going on here? Why is Jesus reacting this way? You know, this, this is really one of my favorite Bible stories, and it wasn't always that way. I came to Christ through an Awana. 
Awana group back in, in the 1960s. So a shout out to all of you that are volunteering and working in Awana. Actually, a shout out to all you that are ministering in children and youth and teens because it makes a difference in lives. And there was a person in the Awana back in Lindenhurst, New York, that told me the gospel and led me to the Lord. Told me the very first time, told me about Jesus Christ and how he died for our sins and how can be, he can be my Lord and Savior. And, and that was an amazing thing to me. And when I was in seventh grade, I got my very first Bible. Now to get it, I had to memorize the names of all the books of the Old Testament. So here I am, kind of a new believer, trying to memorize all these names to get this Bible, but I wanted that Bible so bad, and I still have that Bible today, and I got it, and the Bible's a big book. And so I went to my youth pastor, and I said, Pastor Dan, where should I start? And he said, Joe, just start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they tell that wonderful story of Jesus' earthly ministry and what he was like. And I started reading those stories, and, and they're so amazing. I love the stories of how Jesus healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and raised the dead. But the story of Jesus cleansing the temple, that one puzzled me. I didn't quite understand that. But as time went on, it became my favorite because it speaks to priorities. It speaks to things that can crowd our hearts. And it talks about how Jesus can cleanse our hearts just like he cleansed that temple so many years ago. So a little background or the temple will help us. And this is a diagram of what the temple grounds may have looked like. You see, the temple was constructed to be a dwelling place for God. Now, now we know that God can't dwell in a structure. God is the God of the universe. I mean, this is God Almighty. He created everything. But the purpose of the temple was to house a special manifestation of his presence among his people, the Israelites. And this was for their benefits. They were reminded and they knew that God was there with him just like he said he would be. And the first temple was built back in Solomon's day. And since that time, it had been destroyed and rebuilt. And by the time we get to the first century where Jesus comes on board, the temple itself had undergone some renovations uh, by Herod the Great. And it was an impressive sight. It was an imposing sight. It was on a hill overlooking Jerusalem. And there's something really important we need to remember about that temple. And the temple was designed to be a place where people could meet with God. It was designed to be a place where people could come to worship and pray. And that is so important to know. Now, on the diagram you see there, that's a... On your upper right-hand... temple was the court of Israel. That was the court of men for the Israelite men. So if you were a Jewish man, you could go to that court and worship and pray to God. The next court going outward was the court of the women. So for all the Jewish women, for all, the, all the Israelite women, they could come to that court and worship God. Beyond that is a bigger court known as the Court of the Gentiles. On the diagram here, that would be that large open area on the left-hand side. It was about three football fields in length. And anybody could come here. It was what's called a Gentile. A Gentile is just somebody that was non-Jewish, somebody not of the Israelite covenant community. And the foreigners, they could come here and they could worship the one true God of Israel. 
And it's in this larger court, in this big open area, that our story this morning will take place. Here's where we find the merchants and the money changers. Instead of being a, a quiet place of worship, there was an area in the court of the Gentiles where it looked more like a carnival, like a flea market, like, like, like a, a convenience store. It certainly wasn't a place of worship. And you'll find these money changers and you'll find these merchants. Now, a little bit in their defense, they were there to provide a service. You see, the merchants provided animals for sacrifice. And if you were a, a Jewish family, a Jewish man traveling from a long distance away, and you were coming to Jerusalem and to the temple to worship, it was, it was difficult to carry an animal for sacrifice. So it was much more convenient to come and buy that animal when you got to Jerusalem. And if you wanted to pay the temple tax, you had to pay that tax in Jerusalem currency. You couldn't use coins that were Roman coins or Greek coins that had the, the minting of, of the emperor or somebody else on that coin. It had to be a Jerusalem coin. So the money changers would exchange your coins, your foreign coins, for Jerusalem currency. So that made sense. Originally, they were not on the temple grounds. They were actually off that. But somewhere, somewhere over the years, they migrated right into that sacred place into that core of the Gentiles. And what had happened, they started getting greedy. And, and herein, therein lies the problem. You see, the folks that were providing the sacrificial animals and the people that were making the money exchanges were charging exorbitant prices, 10 times as much, sometimes more than that. And they were actually robbing the people and profiting and taking all that profit and putting it in their pocket. See, the, the merchants and the money changers they were at the temple, but they didn't have the spirit of the temple. And you notice in this passage in Mark, Jesus says that he overturned the benches of those selling doves. And that is something that's really significant because doves were the offering for those that were poor, for the poor people. So what's this telling us is even the poor even the poor among them were being exploited and were being robbed. They come to worship God, and in the process, there's barrier after barrier, and they're actually being robbed by these people that were the money changers and were the, were the, um, the merchants. So the temple itself, it looked good on the outside. The culture was there, but everything was really a sham. The temple promised one thing but delivered another. There was plenty of activity there, but there was no real fruit. So Jesus enters the temple court, and he drives out those who are buying and selling. He's overturning tables and benches. And just visualize this, animals going everywhere, coins just rolling around on the ground. Imagine the people are stunned, and the religious leaders, they're, they're outraged. This is a picture of Jesus we're not used to seeing. He, he's upset, and he's angry. But it's really important to note this. Even though Jesus was angry, he did not sin. He did not sin. You see, this was not uncontrolled human anger or rage. This was not Jesus losing his temper. Jesus never lost his temper. Jesus is the perfect and righteous and holy son of God. And what he's doing here, he's expressing righteous anger towards the corruption that was taking place at the temple. It was grounded in his love for those people who came to that temple to worship. And when they come to worship, there are all these barriers in the way. And Jesus just wanted to remove those barriers. Remember, Jesus' purpose was to unite fallen and sinful man with a righteous and holy God. And here in, in the temple itself, that wasn't happening. So he gets angry and he, he changes everything else. He, 
all that activity that was taking place there was violating that sacred space where people had an opportunity to meet with God, and their actions were interfering with that. And of course, that is why Jesus was upset. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 11, and let's go to our final verse this morning in this part. It is Mark eleven seventeen, and it says this. And as he, that's Jesus, taught them, he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You know, Jesus challenged and changed the temple. His actions revealed that, that he's the one in authority. He owned that temple. He had the authority over the temple. He had the authority over the money changers. He had the authority over the merchants. He had the authority over the religious leaders. He had the authority over all those who thought they had the authority. And the Gospels tell us Jesus didn't just cleanse the temple and leave. He stayed there and he taught the people. And he tells them, he says, he says, my house. And this is a reference to Old Testament verses found in Isaiah and Jeremiah. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. And get this, a house of prayer for, for all nations, for all nations. You know, there's an ironic twist here. The um, religious leaders of that day, those that were at the temple, the corrupt chief priests and Pharisees, the uh, merchants and money changers, they all expected the, the Messiah to come and to purge Jerusalem and the temple from the Gentiles. Instead, what Jesus did, he cleanses the temple for the Gentiles so they can come there and worship the one true God. You see, the heartbeat of the temple should have been, it should have been worship and prayer, but somewhere along the line, other activities took priority over prayer and over worshiping God and living for him. So Jesus challenged and changed the temple, and he wants to do the same thing in our hearts because we get stuff that kind of grows in our hearts as well. So with that in mind, let's move from the first century temple to the new year. We're in 2023 already. And let's look at not just the temple back then, but let's take a look at our hearts. You know, we need to take a heart exam. It's so good and it's so important that we take the time in our lives to look and see what's going on in our heart. The psalmist David puts it this way. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. There's that word, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's found in Psalm 139, 23 to 24. You see, the first century temple, it looked really healthy on the outside, but it was really corrupt on the inside. There were, there were big problems when you, you looked a little bit closer. And that temple was destroyed in 70 AD, just as Jesus had foretold. But the New Testament tells us that a major shift had taken place. A major change has taken place. That temple that existed long ago is now moved, and you and I, we, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are now the temple of the living God. Let's take a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You see, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us as believers when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But just like that temple long ago, we can allow things, we can allow tables 
to be set up in our hearts. We, we can look fine on the outside, but there can be some, some issues on the inside that we've got to face, that we've got to look at, that we've got to bring before God. This next slide you're going to see is of a, a building imploding. And the story goes back to Dallas, Texas. Back in the 1980s, Dallas was undergoing a major renovation. And they were taking care and actually destroying and demolishing older buildings and building newer skyscrapers. And a pastor tells a story of the local old YMCA building that was nearby his church. And he heard that YMCA was going to be demolished. And that's not the actual building there, but that's a really good building of what we're going to be talking about. And he said he would look at that old YMCA and he heard it was going to be coming down and being replaced by a skyscraper. But he looked out the window every day and he didn't see a lot of activity. There, there were no work crews. There were no wrecking balls. There was no machinery, and he couldn't understand what was going on. But once in a while, he would see a couple of men go in with some boxes and come on out, go in and come out, but no real activity. And then he heard that one Saturday, that YMCA was going to come down. So he goes, I'm going to go watch it. And he goes out there, and he stands there with the crowd, and they look at the YMCA, and all of a sudden, there's that muffled explosion. Boom, boom, boom. And the bricks give way, the walls give way and the building itself starts to implode. And the YMCA falls to the ground in a pile of dust and rubble. You see, all those weeks when it looked like nothing was going on, there was a lot happening on the inside. And folks, we can look good on the outside, but if there are some issues on the inside, inside our hearts, it's going to catch up with us. And sooner or later, it's going to impact our life. It's going to impact our spiritual life. It's going to impact our life with other people as well. You know, we can look at it this way. We all have a, uh, an in here and an outside. Uh, in, in, I could put it this way, an inside stage and an outside stage, an inside life and an outside life. And what happens in here, deep inside our hearts, it, it can never stay there. It's always going to come out from us and, and go out to the lives of the people we know. It's going to come out to our relationship with God. So it's so important that we examine our hearts on a regular basis. We need to go before God and say, God, what's really going on inside of me? You know, it, it's too important to assume all is fine, and it's too important to go unchallenged. To use that first century temple as an illustration, the corrupt merchants and money changers, they set up their tables there. And so the question that we should ask ourselves is, are there any tables set up inside our hearts? I'd like to bring some examples before you this morning. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about my life. Now, I'm 66, and, and life goes fast. For you younger folks here, you hear old people say that all the time. And when you get to be old, you will know that it's a true statement. And I look back over my life, and there were times that I had a lot of tables set up inside my heart. And I'm going to share a few of those with you this morning. Maybe you can identify with some of these, but these were things that, that impacted my life in such a way that it, it impacted my relationship with God and my relationship with others. The first one I'm going to call the table of the hurried heart. The table of the hurried heart. And see, there were times in my life when I was always in a hurry. You know, even when my body was still, my mind was still going and going and going. In my 20s, I thought things would slow down when I got into my 30s. And in my 30s, I thought it would slow down when I got into my 40s, but it didn't. And the reason it didn't, the problem wasn't outside. The problem was, was inside me. So you get the picture. It, it's, it's something that it dwells in our hearts and impacts our lives. 
Uh, John Ortberg is a Christian author and a pastor, and he's a, a licensed clinical psychologist, and he gives a great story about hurry, and I'll share this with you. I love this story. John tells the story of how he moved to Chicago, and he said, you know, it was, my, my life was just going so fast, and, and it was to the point that things just were not going well in his spiritual life. So he calls a very close Christian friend and mentor, and he says, I've got a problem. My life is just going so fast. And he described the pace of his life. And he goes, I need to get my spiritual life back on track. How do I get myself to a spiritually healthy place? Well, there was a long pause. Now, on the other end of the phone, his friend said this, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John says, I got that. I got it. And he's writing it down. And he goes, that's, that's a good one. What's next? And there was another long pause. You see, you see it coming. Another long pause. And his friend said, that's it. There is nothing else. You see, the problem in John's heart was a hurried heart. And the problem in my heart at that time was a hurried heart. Another table I've set up in my life, I call this the table of misplaced priorities. And this one crops up a lot if I'm not careful. You see, in our lives, we can get so busy. There are so many things that compete for our time. And a lot of times what happens are things that, that matter least overtake those things that matter most. I'm priorities shift all the time. We're in the new year. A lot of times we, we make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to do this and change. And we do this sometimes month by month. Sometimes throughout the days, our priorities change. But what's happened in my life when I set up this table of misplaced priorities, what's happening is I'm letting other things, things that matter least, overtake the one thing that matters most in my life, and that's my relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and things that matter least just overtake it. Just like at the temple, the, the money changers and the merchants, they became corrupt. They overtook the main point of the temple, which was prayer and time alone, time with God. And that happens in my life as well. When I'm not guarding my heart, when I'm not looking to see what's really going on inside. Another one is what I call the table of the, right, the self-righteous heart. This one to me is, is probably the most deceptive. Because we don't think of ourselves as being self-righteous. That's, that's the Pharisees. They were the self-righteous ones. But the key phase to this is the fact that we can, in fact, be self-righteous. And what this heart looks like is a very busy heart. We're doing a lot of good things. We're doing good things at church. We're doing good things maybe at our kids' school and in the community. And we're busy doing a lot of things, which is a good thing. But we're doing that at the detriment to letting God work in our hearts. In other words, we're doing so much out here that we're not letting God do his work in here. And what happens is this. We're, we're really not surrendered to God. See, when we're surrendered to God, we go, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And what is it you don't want me to do? And you're following Jesus. But in this, this self-righteous table that we're at, what happens is we just... We go and we go and we go and we justify ourselves by our works. We look at our Christian life and we go, you know what? I'm doing okay in my Christian life. Look, I'm really active in church. Look, I'm really active in my kid's school. Look, I'm really active in the community. And when we do that, our profile is more like the Pharisees than like a believer who is walking step by step with Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior.
the, the table of the self-righteous heart. And I think that is one of the, the worst ones in the sense that the other tables you know something is wrong, but the table of the self-righteous heart, when you're so busy that you're not giving time with God, you can think you're doing okay when really, really you're not. Really you're not. Then there's what I call the table of the settled heart. I've been at this table as well. And this is where, where you kind of just settle down in your Christian life in not a good way. It's like a boat that drifts away from shore. You're kind of disengaging in your walk with the Lord. I mean, you're reading your Bible, but you're not really engaging with God when you read. And you're praying, but those prayers are just words, and you're really not connecting with God. So you go through kind of a ho-hum, settled Christian existence rather than that, that, that awesome, transforming, growing life that Jesus calls us to as we walk with him. You're kind of in a spiritual autopilot mode. And what happens in this, our walk with Jesus Christ, and this is, this is, get this, this is important. Our walk with Jesus Christ becomes more mechanical than it becomes relational. We're just doing things. We're going through the motions. The last one I'll talk about today is what I call the, the table of the overwhelmed heart. See, the overwhelmed heart's a little difficult to describe because there are so many causes. Maybe it's just the pace of life just, just overwhelms you, or maybe somebody hurts you, or there was a tragedy in your life, and you're not even sure what's going on. You just feel like, like everything's wrong on the inside, and, and you can't even express it, or you, you can't, even, can't even sort it out. And, and Jesus is the answer to that. And we'll talk a little bit more on how to move forward from these type of hearts, from these tables we set up in our hearts. And there are many others. And you might be able to think of other tables we can set up. Maybe there's, there's greed, there's lust, there's worry, there's fear. There are so many tables that we can set up. But I want you to remember this. And this is on your, your sermon guide. If you look about two-thirds down, this is the heart of what we're talking about this morning. And it says this, always remember this, always remember this. Jesus was the answer to the problems at the temple centuries ago. And Jesus is the answer to the struggles in our lives. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer to the broken areas in our hearts. He overturned those tables at the temple, and he can certainly overturn those tables that we set up inside our hearts. So let's talk about heart change. Let's talk about getting things that are wrong inside our hearts, getting those things right. You see, it's allowing God to do his work in our hearts. There's a saying that nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And we don't change our hearts by wishful thinking. How many folks here bowl? Do you have any bowlers here? You like to bowl? Okay. I am not a good bowler, but you've probably seen this for people that aren't good bowlers. You grab that bowling ball, and you throw it down the lane. It goes towards the pin, and it starts going towards the gutter, and the person that threw the ball is going, over, come on, over, let's do it, this way, this way, get out of the gutter, right? As if by talking to that bowling ball that's going down that lane, your thoughts and your, your mm-mm-mm is going to cause it to be where it needs to be. That's wishful thinking. It doesn't work in bowling, and it certainly doesn't work in our spiritual lives. What we've got to do, we've got to engage with God. We've got to talk with God. We have got to pray, and that's the start. How do we get our hearts right? We start with prayer. You see, the heartbeat of a God-centered and a healthy light, healthy life is the heartbeat of prayer. And the New Testament puts great priority on prayer. Look at Colossians 4.2. Colossians 4.2 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says this, Rejoice always. 
Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, one of the foundations of a successful prayer life is sometimes just showing up. It's just showing up. This, that's where heart change takes place. That's where it begins. We come before God in prayer. I'll tell you a little story in my life. Um, I started doing this back in my, in, when I was in my 30s, and uh, my life has just been a mess at certain points, especially early on, and even as a growing Christian. And I would just get so overwhelmed by life and by so many things to do, and those tables I talked about before. And so I started making a habit of just putting the brakes on my life and just stopping, saying, I am stopping my life, and I am going to go somewhere and be alone with God. Now, for me, it's, it's out in the woods because I love to be outside. It could be anywhere. But it, I, it, for me, let me backtrack here for a second. Uh, going out in the woods for me is just so special because what that does, it gets me away from the noise and everything else that's going on in my life. You guys know what that's like. Things come at us all the time. There is so many things that vie for our attention, that vie for, for our lives, and, and we only have so much time. And I found that when I take these times and I just say, God, I am going to stop everything. I'm going to talk to you about what's going on deep inside my heart. Those moments to me are life-changing. Now, we're to pray continually, which means we can talk to God anywhere, anytime. And that's great. And we should absolutely do that. But I find in my life, there are times I've just got to get away. And I just got to go somewhere where there is absolutely no distractions. Cell phone off, nothing. And just sit there and talk to God. And the way I do it, I start it by just praying because I find when I try to pray, my thoughts start jumping around like monkeys in banana trees. You ever have that feeling? And you want to kind of settle down? So I'll start by praying. And I usually start praying for Deb because she's the closest human being in my life and my family and pray for them and thank God for them. And I'll pray for people I know, maybe for this church, folks I know here and uh, the staff, the elder board and other people that God brings to mind. And that settles my mind down enough that I can just really start focusing not on myself, but just on my time alone with God. And then I start digging deeper in my heart and say, okay, God, what about me? What's going on here? What are the things that I don't see? What are the tables I've set up in my heart that are causing barriers in my relationship with you? And we have a great time talking. There's, sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's great joy, but I just bear my heart and my soul before God. And then as I walk out of those wooded areas, I just worship him. And I do this on a regular basis. And I would encourage you, a lot of you are doing this, I know, and you may not be going into the woods. You may have a closet or a place at home that you go to or some other location on your property. But if you're not doing this, if you're just going through life 100 miles an hour, one foot on the gas pedal, one foot on the brake, and just zooming through life, and you're not stopping to get along with God, you're missing out on that relationship God wants you to have. And it's so important to look at what's happening inside your life. So getting what's wrong right involves two things, confession and surrender. Confession is when we come before God and we, we turn from our sin, we repent and we seek forgiveness. God, forgive me. David does this. When he was confronted by Nathan about his, his, his adultery with Bathsheba, he cries out in Psalm 50, 51 and says this, create in me a pure heart, O God, a pure heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 1 John 1.19 promises, promises us this, that if we confess our sins, he, God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. So we need to cry out to God. So if your heart is here and you've got a table set up and you're not sure what's going on, I would really encourage you to talk with God about what's happening deep inside. And then the second part of that is surrender. And surrender is this. It's letting go of lesser things to grab on to that which is most important. And the most important thing in your life and my life, if you're a believer, is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ. Okay, at this point, I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna close out. And this last slide has three statements on it. Jesus changed the temple. Jesus can change our hearts and Jesus certainly can transform our lives. You see, living in Jesus' name is all about heart change. It's it's all about life transformation. And, And this morning, I wanna close out with the first question I asked you when we started. How would you describe your heart? How would you describe your heart this morning? And friends, let me tell you, if there's struggle in your heart, if things just aren't right, before the sun goes down today, make it a priority to go someplace where you can be alone with God and say, God, I just need to talk to you. Father, I need to pour out my heart before you. I need to bear my soul before you. There are tables in my heart. There are things in my heart that I just know I've got to bring before you. I've got to stop the madness of my life and start following Jesus. I've got to stop being a Christ admirer and be a Jesus follower and be a Jesus follower. You know, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus wants to change your heart. Jesus wants to change my heart. We just have to allow him to do that. All right, let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we can have forgiveness through his shed blood. We're so thankful that he cleansed that temple and we're so thankful that he is so willing and so ready to cleanse our hearts. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here in this congregation this morning, in this room that's struggling in their hearts, that have tables of hurriedness in their hearts or tables of misplaced priorities or or just not even knowing what's wrong in their hearts, Father, I pray that your spirit will move mightily in those hearts today. Move mightily in all of our hearts in such a way to draw us closer and closer to Jesus, to let go of things that aren't important, to grab onto you, to grab onto that which is most important. Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Please stand with us and make this your prayer this morning.
There are tables in your heart. I just want to encourage you, Christian, get along with God. Get along. Do it today. You can make a decision for Jesus today that can change the course of the rest of your life. So go in peace. Seek Jesus. Let's walk close with him this week. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>